The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Well, good morning, church. Glad to be here. Glad to see you guys here. I know this window between Christmas and the new year can often be difficult, so it's awesome to see you guys prioritizing church and God's family. I'm also super excited that Princess Poppy is here. It's kind of been a bucket list of mine. Um, (laughs) That's Princess Poppy. So I want to uh, share God's word with you today. Most of the time when I come here, I represent the orphanage, Hope Orphan Home in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Not here this morning to do that, though. I want to dive into God's word together. Specifically, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, please go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We'll stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I pray that you would speak to us. Reveal yourself to us. Show us how you want us to live. Show us what you want us to believe. Show us what you want us to feel. And show us what you want us to share. In Jesus' name, amen. So in just a handful of days, it will be January 6th. And January 6th is known as Epiphany. Now, like three weeks ago, I didn't know what that meant, okay? Uh, It's new to me, so I had to look it up. On the church calendar, Epiphany is the day that the ancient church celebrates the three wise men bringing gifts to baby Jesus. And seeing that it's not far away, I thought that it would be appropriate to talk about that today, the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, for a really long time, I mean for years, I've wondered to myself, what on earth was a baby or his parents going to do with some gold, some frankincense, and some myrrh? And, and I hope by the time of our, our time being over that we have a good grasp 
of that. First off, I want to tell you a quick story to kind of get, in the, get us in the right frame of mind. So my grandma, Teresa, uh, she passed away about six years ago, but when she was alive, she loved to do crafts, like any sort of craft project that you can imagine. She actually had like a storage unit that you pay by the month just full of craft supplies. Like that was her overflow room, okay? Uh, I jokingly say that she was born with like fake flowers in one hand and a hot glue gun in the other. Like that's grandma, okay? Well, I was thinking about how I I think I was around eight years old and uh, she bought me a sweatshirt and she decorated it for me. I can't remember. I think it was my birthday I can't, I can't remember though, but she bought me a sweatshirt and, and she decorated it. And I can still picture it to this day. So it was a, a turtle. He was standing up on his back legs. He was wearing a basketball jersey and he was shooting a basketball. It was totally realistic. I mean, it looked real, all right? And, and I think of that now, you know, I reflect back and I'm like, that is such a grandma gift, like a cool grandma gift, you know, like, like power to grandmas out there for doing stuff like that. At the time though, that's not how I felt. I remember opening it up, and in my mind, you know, I was a good grandson, so I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ugly. This is hideous, and she wants me to wear this? Like, I wouldn't be caught dead in this. But, you know, being the good grandson that I was, I'm like, oh, Grandma, this is wonderful. I love it. I, I liked turtles when I was little, and I like basketball now, and you just put them together on a shirt, didn't you? I love this. And, and, and Grandma, you use so much fabric paint that like people walking by me could get poked in the eye on accident. It's like 3D. I love it. You know what I'm talking about, right? When, when you, you, you get a gift and you don't know what to say or do with that gift, okay? That's what I've wondered if what was happening in this story that we just looked at. You know, I wonder if Jesus, who's maybe around two years old at the time, we'll talk about that a little later, I wonder if Jesus, you know, he sees these strangers walk in. This is like the beginning of weird when you're raising the Messiah, right? Like three guys randomly show up and have gifts for your kid, and you're like, okay, thank you. You know, I wonder if if Jesus is like, no rattle, huh? You could have gotten me a rattle or chew on it, like that's what I picture my two-year-old doing, chewing on the gold bar. Nobody, we don't do that. <laughs> or I, I picture his parents, you know, Mary and, and Joseph, and they walk in and, you know, Mary's like, oh, myrrh. Yeah, not diapers. No, we don't need that. Myrrh. Yeah, oh, no, this will look perfect. I'll just put it over here on the fireplace, on the mantle. This is wonderful. You know, I tease, but I really wonder what were they going to do with these items? Well, that's one of the questions that I want to answer this morning. Now, before we jump into the, the gifts themselves, I've got a few introductory pieces of information that I think will be helpful as we think about this story as a whole. First idea is this. These wise men that came to visit Jesus, they were probably astrologers. Now, what's that mean in ancient terms? These were guys who studied the stars and tried to understand the times based on those stars. And sort of a deeper layer of that is that they were godless. They were pagan. These guys were probably not believers, which is so interesting because by the end of the story, they're bowing down and they're worshiping Jesus. Second idea is this. The wise men who brought these gifts were most likely Gentiles. It's so interesting to me that those who came to offer gifts of appreciation to Jesus first were not his people, not the Jews. It was actually outsiders. 
Third idea is this. Matthew 2.15 tells us that Jesus was probably around two years old whenever the wise men came. And so you think about artistic renditions of the nativity scene and all that stuff today. They usually show the wise men there. Probably not the case. Fourth idea, technically speaking, we do know how many gifts were given, but we can't say for sure how many wise men there actually were. We know there were three gifts. Could have been one dude bringing three presents, or two guys bringing three, or four bringing three, and one guy forgot. That'd be me. All right? We don't know, but we do know what the gifts were. Fifth idea is this. These three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, at the time were very expensive and very valuable, and that comes into play later in the story. Sixth and finally, this is the major idea, okay? These gifts served two purposes. I will argue this morning that these gifts were both symbolic and pragmatic. I think that each one of these gifts intended to define who Jesus was and why he came to earth. Furthermore, I think each one of these gifts was actually to be used. They were symbolic and pragmatic. As we talk about each one of these gifts, I'm going to answer four questions. Ask and answer four questions. What is it? That's the first question. Second question is, where does it come from? Third, how is this gift used in the Bible? And then fourth, why was it given to baby Jesus? Pretty simple, right? Let's talk about gold. First one. So what is gold? Well, you might have some on your finger, around your neck, hanging from your ear. It's a precious metal. Nerds out there, the atomic number is 79. I don't know. I I think you guys know what gold is. Where does it come from? I I did not consult with Andrew Catlin, our geologist, but this is what I understand, okay? Gold is something that comes from deep within the earth, all right? It's mined. Sometimes it's found on its own, but it can also be a byproduct of mining lead and copper. Didn't know that. Third question, how is it used in the Bible? This is super interesting. Gold is a paradox in the pages of Scripture. It is used both in the worship of God himself and in idol worship. You think back to the Old Testament. God's people fashioned some gold to look like a cow, and then they worshiped it. That's a pretty weird Saturday night, right? Not the way that God wants you to use gold. But conversely, though, gold was used to magnify God and his greatness. The Ark of the Covenant, inside and out, was covered with gold. Some pieces of furniture in the tabernacle were gold-plated. Other pieces of furniture in the tabernacle were actually hammered out of solid gold. And my favorite, gold was even sewn into the high priest's clothing. Gold was actually woven into the fabric itself. So why was it given to baby Jesus? I think at the very least, this is a valuable gift being given to a valuable person. That's, that's a bare minimum, okay? I think at the very most, this is much, much more. Gold is an item that was known for its value and significance and worth, And here it's given to a child of immense value, unimaginable worth, and vast superiority. Gold, something that was known for its permanence and its indestructibility, and something that was reserved for royalty, is here given to this infant king whose reign would last forever. Gold was precious, Jesus was precious. Gold recognized power, Jesus had all the power. I believe that gold was given to Jesus in symbolic recognition that even at two, He was the king of all the universe. So that's the first gift. How about the second? Well, as you'll see, it continues to build with this theme. Next one up is frankincense. 
thank the Lord for Google and for YouTube for this section and the next. So what is frankincense? It's a gum or a sap that comes from a frankincense tree, and it smells wonderful. I actually got a hold of some in preparation for this sermon, and I thought about putting a couple like essential oil diffusers around the sanctuary, but then I thought, oh my word, what if somebody has an allergic reaction? And they're like puffed up like that little girl in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't want to have to deal with that. So we decided not to do it. So I'm just going to describe how they smell to you, okay? One source said that frankincense smells woody and fresh with hints of spice and pine. I can get on board with that. Another one says it's piney or lemony. If you know somebody who's into essential oils, they probably have this, so you could go and and check it out. The, The point is... People think it's pleasant today, and people thought it was pleasant back in Jesus' day and then further back. So how do you get some frankincense? Well, again, thank you, YouTube. So you first have to have a frankincense tree, and you go up and you cut back some of the bark on a branch or on the trunk itself, and you peel it back, and then sap begins to come out. That's frankincense. That's how you get it. How is it used in the Bible? Three main ways that you can go to the pages of Scripture and find frankincense. First, and I think least significant for our time together, it was used in cosmetics and perfumes, although men, Valentine's Day is not that far away. Get some frankincense for your lady, right? More importantly, though, frankincense was used in two additional ways. All right, this is what we need to focus on. It was burned in the tabernacle in the place where God's presence actually dwelled. And the book of Leviticus mentions numerous times how frankincense was given as part of special offerings when they were given to God himself. And so because of these connections, when somebody in the Old Testament or somebody in the New Testament smelled frankincense, it would have instantly reminded them of the presence of God. They would have been reminded of reverence and dependence and honor and allegiance and a desire to please him. And if their minds would have went there when they smelled this fragrance, our minds should go there when we speak about this fragrance. So why was it given to baby Jesus? I think it comes down to this. Frankincense was an acknowledgement that Jesus was God, that God was with us, and he needed to be worshipped. I mean, just think about it. What element was used in the Old Testament in the tabernacle? What was given as an offering to God? Frankincense. I think that the wise men brought Jesus this gift of frankincense because it was one of the very few appropriate gifts for the God-man. You know, you've got that person in your life, you think, they got everything, what do they need? Jesus made everything. What does he need? He needs a gift that acknowledges that he is God with us and that he is to be worshipped. Finally, let's talk about gift number three. Gifts one and two focused on who Jesus was. And as you'll see, the third gift focused on what he had come to do. So what is myrrh? Well, myrrh, like frankincense, comes from a tree. One website says this. It is, quote, slightly earthy, and some say that it smells like black licorice. That's terrible, people. I'm sorry if anybody likes black licorice, but I would be out at this point. Thankfully, though, another source described it like this. Myrrh has a smoky, sweet, or sometimes bitter smell. Maybe I could get on board with that. What I know is this. Ancient people liked it, and ancient people used it. 
Where does it come from? Well, just like frankincense, you first have to have a tree and you peel back a little bit of the bark and then this whitish, milky substance comes out. And when it is exposed to air, it gets hard. So to keep it for a long time, you have to put it in like a, some sort of airtight container and then to reactivate it to get the smell again, it has to be warmed up and then you get that smell again. So how is it used in the Bible? Myrrh is used a bunch of different ways in the Old Testament. It's used in perfumes and beauty treatments and even anointing oil, you know, when objects or people would be anointed. I want to focus on the New Testament, though. Specifically, in Jesus' day, myrrh was used in two separate ways, both pertaining to death. First one is this, Mark chapter 15. If you recall, Jesus is being crucified and he's offered a drink towards the end of the crucifixion. This is what Mark 15, verses 21 through 23 say. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused. So in addition to smelling good, apparently myrrh could also be used to knock you out or to dull the pain. What's super interesting, though, is Jesus refused. I would argue he was experiencing the full weight of man's sin, and he didn't want a watered-down version of that. Second way that myrrh came into play in the New Testament was when a corpse was being prepared for burial. So when somebody had passed away, they would wash the body, they would dress it in special garments, and then they would pack it with spices and myrrh. This was done to help cover the, the smell of decay. John 19, verses 38 through 40, read this way. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen. So in the New Testament, myrrh was used in two ways, as a tonic drink at crucifixion and as an embalming agent at burial. Why was this given to Jesus? To me, it seems pretty plain. This gift, given at the beginning of Jesus' life, was intended to highlight the end of his life. Why he came, he came to die. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 reads this way, But God showed great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I mean, you just think about it, okay? This exact fragrance that was used at crucifixion and at embalming is the exact fragrance that Jesus was given as a child. I think that myrrh being given to Jesus 30-some years before his death was done so intending to highlight his coming suffering, his sacrifice. It was a foreshadowing. So, in summary, these three gifts, each of them symbolic in its own right. Gold, the currency of kings, was given to the heavenly king who lived on earth. Frankincense, the aroma of worship, was offered to the one who was due all worship. And myrrh, the perfume that accompanied death, was given to this child who came to die. 
Now, before we jump into application, and there is application here, I've got two other additional ideas that I want to share that I think are crucial to us understanding these three gifts. First one is this, fulfillment of prophecy. These specific gifts being given to Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy, words that were written several hundred years before Jesus was born. The first one is in Psalm 72. I'm going to read it to you. It's verses 10, 11, and 15. It says this, The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. This is talking about the coming of the Messiah. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. Long live the king. Here it is. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. That one is great. Isaiah 60 verse 6 I think is even better. It says this. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Epah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. These are written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And yet they foretold of his birth, the visitors, and specific gifts that they would bring. Now the second idea that I think is interesting relates to provision. So so you think about, okay, we understand that each one of these gifts is symbolic. Gold is given to kings. You know, we get all of that. What were they supposed to do with them though? Okay? Well, here's what commentators think. Scholars believe that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, while they were stuck in two years in Egypt, waiting for Herod to die, funded and survived their stay with these specific items. God provided for his son and his earthly parents with these symbolic yet to be used pragmatic gifts. You know, I was trying to think of a a comparison. This is how my mind works, okay? And so we just had Christmas. Our boys got birthdays. Our boys get gift cards, right? Your, Your kids sometimes get gift cards. Those gift cards are given to you, but they are to be for the benefit of the child, you know? If I give Louie an Old Navy gift card, he's gonna whip it across the room like a throwing star, okay? But if I take that and buy clothes for them, For him, he will benefit from that. Well, I think that's what's going on here. These gifts are given to baby Jesus to be used by his parents as provision from God to survive while they're hiding from this evil king. So when you combine all of this, it's amazing to me that hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, God told everyone that a Savior would be coming, that people would give him specific gifts, and then he listed those gifts. And not only would these gifts have symbolic significance, they also had practical benefits as well. So let's think about application. I've got four main ideas for you, okay? Three gifts teach us four things. First one is this, Jesus is king. 2,000 years ago, gold, the gift of supremacy, was brought to Jesus because he was a royal baby and king of all creation. And if that was true back then, if he was king of all creation then, then he's still king of creation today. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He still possesses it. He is still king. So my question is, do you recognize him as king? Is he Lord? Is he your all in all? Is he the reason that you live and breathe? Is your utmost allegiance to him, not your spouse, not your family, not your job, not your whatever, is he your king? The gift of gold reminds us that he should be. And this leads directly to point number two, Jesus deserves to be worshipped. Frankincense, this aroma that filled the holy place and the most holy place, was brought to this child as an act of exaltation. And this shows us that we too, alongside these wise men, 
should be worshiping the God-man. We are to sing to Him and pray to Him and read about Him and to fellowship with His people and to serve His people. We're to give generously to further His kingdom. Everything that we say and do and think and feel should be in recognition of who Jesus is. He's King and He's to be worshipped. Third idea is this, God gives provision. Not only were these gifts emblematic, they symbolized something, they were also to be used. God wanted to provide for his son and his son's parents so that they could sustain themselves while in Egypt. You know, I, I, I really hesitated on this next section if I was going to include it or not, and, and I decided that I'm going to. And so hear me clearly on this. You know, I want to tell you that God meets the needs. I want to tell you that God meets every need of every believer. But I can't do that. Yes, there have been many times in my life, countless times, whenever I have prayed and asked God for a miracle, and God gave that miracle. But there are other times in that same breath I have to acknowledge where believers go hungry. Believers get sick with cancer. Believers die. You know, I've got four boys. My oldest son, Nosco, he has severe special needs, so severe that he can't live at home anymore. I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed and begged God to heal him. I can't tell you how many times that I've prayed and asked God. I say, God, just the, the, your robe, if it would brush his face, all would be undone. I say, God, I want him to laugh and sing and play and sleep without fear. But God has not answered that prayer. And that's okay, because God has provided a better way for me, for Nosco, and for all of you. Salvation through Christ. We may starve, we may suffer, we may die, but we have Jesus, and that's what matters. He has provided for us through Christ, and that leads directly to our last point. Jesus died and rose to make us right with God. Myrrh was the perfume that was used at burial, and it was given to this boy to acknowledge his coming sacrificial death. But thanks be to God that the story does not stop with Jesus' death. He rose from the dead, showing his power over Satan's sin and death. 1 Peter 3.18 reads this way, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners, I love this, to bring them safely home to God. You know, I don't know where all of you stand, several new faces here. I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, and life was perfect for them. They were in a perfect relationship with God, but they wanted more. And they rebelled. And that rebellion not only created division between Adam and Eve, it created division between all of humankind and God. Yet God still loved them. He wanted to be in a relationship with them, but he knew that restoration could not happen by human hands. So he sent his son Jesus. That's how much he loved us. He said, they can't pay the price, I'm gonna pay the price for them. Jesus came here and he showed us how to live and then he died in our place on the cross as our substitute. It should have been us. But death could not hold him. 
He rose from the grave three days later, and then he ascended to heaven to be with God the Father. The Holy Spirit is here now to guide us and direct us, and the Bible says that one day soon and very soon, Jesus is coming back. Friends, the only way that we can be made right with God is if we see Jesus for who he really is, if we worship him for his life, death, and resurrection. And praise be to God that gold, frankincense, and myrrh point us in the right direction. Let's pray. God, we're thankful to learn of these three gifts, to see how sovereign you are, that from the beginning you had a plan that you set in motion, that from the beginning you knew that these gifts meant something, but also these gifts were to be used to survive. God, we stand in awe of how awesome you are. I pray that these people here would look at these gifts and ask themselves a question associated with each. Do they see you as king? Do they worship you as God? Do they value the resurrection? God, I pray we would dwell on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.